Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my colleague and collaborator, Ryan Donovan. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. We're going to be talking about one of your favorite metaphors today, (laughs) pets versus cattle. It's come up on the blog. I've seen it in the newsletter. It's your trusty go-to. Today's episode is sponsored by the fine folks over at Chronosphere. Ryan, what are we going to be chatting a little bit about today before I introduce our guest? You know, the typical pets versus cattle metaphor is that you want your servers to be cattle, sort of disposable, easy Mm -hmm. to process, instead of pets where you name them and love them. We're going to be talking about the uh, the ops folks, and you want them to be pets, not cattle. They are not disposable. Not Neither your servers nor your people are disposable. I got it. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> All right. So joining us today from Kronos here is Paige Cruz, who's a senior developer advocate over there. Paige, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Thank you for having me. Long time lurker on the Stack Overflow uh, <laughs> forums and a first time podcast guest. Very delighted to be here today. <laughs> Good. I hope you've copied and pasted your fair share. Everybody deserves <laughs> to lurk. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get into the world of technology and how'd you end up at the role you're at today? Yeah, I had a bit of a roundabout way of getting into technology. I, in school, studied a blend of mechanical engineering and business because I'm very hands-on. I I don't like abstractions, uh, ironically, because (laughs) I ended up working in cloud computing where I press a button and all of a sudden lots of things happen under the hood and and we're built on top of so many layers of abstraction. But um, at my first software company, I was doing uh, sort of recruiting and uh, managing our interns. And I thought, hey, we're paying these interns a lot of money. I passed my Python class in college. I could do this coding thing. Maybe I'd give engineering another go. And so that led me on a journey to getting on my first team where most of the company was on-prem and we were given an AWS account and said, hey, our expensive servers not going to be powering the demo. My team managed the demo for that company. And so we were handed this pile of Terraform and Ansible and EC2 and had to make a disposable demo environment, spin up in 10 minutes, spin down pretty quick. And that really led me on this pets first cattle. I ran the Jenkins box. It was kind of my entry point to this whole DevOps, SRE infrastructure world. And I just kept Mm. asking, (laughs) how does this work? What's under the hood? Until I felt like I'd reached the level that I wanted to stay at. So let's let's talk about that that ops work. A lot of ops is is dealing with code and production and especially when it, you know, fires happen. People in pager duty, you know, I've gone out with with friends to the bars with a laptop in case anything broke. Mm-hmm. First of all, what what is the worst place you've gotten paged? <laughs> and then uh, second, how can we we make those pages a little less stressful? Oh, I love that question. So I'll answer for me. My husband is on the pager as well. So we we <laughs> we were a two pager household for a while. But the worst <laughs> place for me was the Oregon Symphony was playing along with the Harry Potter uh, movie, and they were doing the soundtrack and the score. And you know, pager duty, it has, it bypasses the silent mode. That thing started blaring, could not turn it off. I'd spent a decent chunk of money to be like near the front. So I had a very long, embarrassing uh, skip up the hallway to get out of that uh, symphony room. Worst place by far. And I have to ask, I'm sure the, the listeners know, but just for me, what, uh, what is the worst place you've been paged, Ryan? Oh, I've never, I've never been on pager duty, thankfully. Oh my goodness, I can't, I can't <laughs> even imagine. 
my life without <laughs> pager duty. But you asked a great follow-up, which is, okay, yes, we're going to acknowledge that this on-call world is stressful, but how do we make this responding to pages, getting pages, how do we make that a little bit less stressful? And for me, it comes down to a few different buckets. One, which is making it a familiar process to act an alert, to even declare an incident. The first time, you do not want your engineers the first time declaring an incident to be the first time they're looking at the docs and understanding what severity it, when it's unfamiliar, that heightens the stress because you you Mm. don't know if you're doing the right things and it's this charged environment. So I like to recommend that folks treat their internal incidents, whether that's your CICD build system or GitHub or any of the dependencies you have from PR to production, treat those dependencies going down as an incident. Run it with status page updates just to your dev team, you know, have an internal one and just get people used to that motion of declaring the incident, coordinating, knowing where to look for information so that when it comes to the big time production incident, they're like, oh, right. I know where this button is, mm-hmm. or I know how to spin up the template. Yeah. Uh, taking that cognitive running, running fire drills or something. Yeah, run yeah. through the, the plays in the playbook before you get to the run book. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then the other thing I think is sort of putting it into practice, which is training. I've seen a variety of trainings from tabletop scenarios. What would happen if our certs, <laughs> we failed to rotate the certs, and how would we respond? And I honestly used to kind of shrug off tabletop exercises. I thought if it's not in prod, it doesn't count. (laughs) But what I realized is there's a few different layers of skills and knowledge. And even just saying, this is how I would respond as a staff engineer versus a junior engineer. That's a really helpful conversation to kind of share knowledge and say, oh, that's not the dashboard I would go to. Or "Ah, have you heard of this cool tool called Nutstat or whatever. So tabletop is sort of your easiest entry point a mock incident in production would be great, um, but a lot of folks use staging where you take out a dependency, inject some latency, some jitter, whatever it is to actually trigger your alerts and go through that end-to-end process. Love doing that. And then finally, the last step, which is sort of devoid of, of the actual training of incident response, is getting familiar with your monitoring and observability telemetry data. That is the place that is like, least often referenced in engineering onboarding. It is the stuff that isn't covered in college and boot camps, and it's the stuff you got to learn on the job. And I would rather have my engineers learning in calm, stress-free scenarios where they're just discovering the metrics available or, oh, cool, we have traces that are 60% complete. How can I use that? Versus getting paged and furiously trying to figure that out on the fly. So if you hear a theme here, it's all about proactivity in my book. That's awesome. I feel like my experience at Stack Overflow is, yeah, if you could make this into a competitive role-playing game that uh, all the engineers could uh, keep track of their scores in, then they would be practicing constantly whether they're working or not. Oh, yeah. And I, I try to tell people, like, I see when you open up, you know, like Chronosphere, I work at an observability company. When I open up any observability platform, I see it as this treasure chest of information. And even if I know the instrumentation's like, eh, not there, even if I know there's some things I have to work around with labels or cardinality, I love just digging in there to see what I, that's how I self onboard. Um, So I try to tell folks, hey, (laughs) even if you don't love the data you see in there, that's your inspiration to instrument more, add a label, 
keep it going. Cause we all, at the end of the day, we all depend on that data flowing through whether or not it's the infra team versus the app team versus edge. All of the data is related. All of the dependencies are linked together in some way. The ops isn't, isn't just firefighting, right? There's the, if you're lucky, sure. (laughs) There's, there's the regular monitoring code in production and that's, you know, observably helps with that. But what are other ways we can make that monitoring a little bit easier? Yeah, I, oh my gosh. So I've spent my career in monitoring and observability. I, that is the the zillion dollar question, right? (laughs) How do we make this stuff easier? And the challenges that I see are where knowledge is shared, especially in a distributed remote environment or a hybrid environment. Kind of an anti-pattern that I see are people becoming very familiar with Slack's query language. There's sort of this split of people who can operate really well with instant messaging. And then there's some people Mm. like me who really love a forum. I like wish we had the mailing list days back again, because that is the pace (laughs) that I want to go through information, um, not be pinged all the time. So for me, like, how do we make this monitoring easier is how can your engineers know where to go to either figure out what the standards are for your org? What what does a well-formed alert look like? Is there some internal instrumentation library that will decorate every piece of telemetry with the team owner and maybe even the service tier if you're that fancy? Um, Kind of just knowing the scope of what you've got available and what that line of responsibility is between your observability team slash your DevOps team slash your SRE team slash now platform team, whatever you want to call it, the ops folks, ops rebranded versus developers. Where is that line for your organization? So how do we make it easier? First, knowing who to go to, when, and for what. And the other thing for me is having a durable knowledge store. I've seen it with Wiki, with Confluence, you know, wherever you're keeping this information, but getting it out of that instant message constantly, time is moving forward, really difficult to search. For me, you've got to be able to ask and learn those questions in a calmer setting. <laughs> I know y'all are also Stack Overflow for Teams customers. And so, yeah, we do spend yeah. a lot of time here thinking about sort of that. How do you keep the institutional knowledge fresh? How do you make it easier for people to ask questions, not to feel intimidated? And for anybody, you know, who might be on a particular team or maybe on another team, but happens to be familiar with that technology to come in and give a good answer. So definitely something that Ryan and I spend a lot of time thinking about in which I think kind of flows. It's interesting you bring it up, you know, from it's a product, but it flows from the the thesis of, you know, the yeah. public mm-hmm. site, which is like crowdsourcing knowledge and breaking down silos is the way to make sure everybody feels prepared. And in a situation where like suddenly you're, you're stuck or you don't have the knowledge you need, like that you're able to get to it, you know, as fast as possible. Oh, totally. And when I walked in, so I sit now in marketing, I have given up the pager. Um, I was treated <laughs> as cattle for far too long. And, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go to marketing. But I was given access to our Stack Overflow for Teams. And it really came in handy. Well, one, I just like to creep and learn. You know, I, I haven't given up my engineer heart. You know, I still want to know how we set up in front, do all the things. Mm. Um, but when I was approaching learning about our on-call to write a post about making your on-call holidays a little bit more equitable, because uh, my husband was on-call for Christmas three years in a row, and I felt that pain. <laughs> I said, this is mm-hmm. never again, not on my watch. Uh, we're right. going to distribute this work. But I got to ask in Stack Overflow for Teams, hey, how do we treat holiday on-call? Is it volunteer? Do we pay extra? And within a day, I got a really great answer from one of our developers. And 
other people who came after me were able to benefit from learning that information because of the way it was presented versus getting lost in a sea of IMs and, you know, lost to the ether. So yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I mean, when that incident happens, you don't want to be chasing a bunch of people down at two in the morning or whatever time the incident happens. Yeah. And there's a great quote from Seeking SRE. I'll just I'll just read that really kind of ties it together with a bow, at least from the SRE perspective, which is that, quote, your job is to make knowledge, context, and history available to engineers who are making decisions daily while working on features without your oversight. Mm. Building a knowledge base of design documents creates the structure necessary to build context and history around the architecture. Yeah, that's well said. And so for me, that's really where it's at is, is those connections. Who depends on what? When was the last time this alert fired? And did somebody do something about it? Did they act it? Was it actionable? Right. Oh, I would pay PagerDuty so much to just have a Tinder swipe <laughs> for actionable, not actionable at the end of your shift, you know? <laughs> so it's interesting you, you talked about, yeah, you know, managing some of the sort of more human or, you know, HR elements to help out your partner who was on PagerDuty and that there's, you know, a bit of a, a cultural learning that can be helpful here too, along with, you know, the sort of the technical side of it. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, as you've learned over the years and, and specifically in your role now, what are some tips you have for, you know, managing burnout, best practices you think, you know, orgs can apply that will keep their ops people happy and successful? And let's discuss that first and then maybe transition a little bit just into sort of like, what do you think, you know, from, from Chronosphere's perspective, how has your tooling built, you know, in some ways to accommodate that or to accomplish that? Oh, burnout. Um, oh, burnout. <laughs> this was the hot topic when I started my career about six or seven years ago. And yeah. dang it, uh, we still haven't solved for it. Uh, we still got to talk about it. So when it comes to me, so I, I mentioned that I burned out about last year, right around this time. And I just said, gosh, I don't think it's sustainable for me in my life to carry this pager and have a, a small on call with a really big range of responsibilities, um, sort of the ratio of, of people on call to services we owned out of whack. And I think my recommendation is to always start by talking to your manager. You have to be open about this. You have to be open when you feel like you're starting to burn out because there are lots of things your manager or the business can do to help you. They can put you on a different project. They could give you a couple weeks off. You have to explore sort of those early interventions before it gets to the point where you're saying, oof, like I've just got to quit. I've, I've got to go be an alpaca farmer. That's my thing. <laughs> you want to catch it as early as possible and treat it very seriously. A lot of my advice is for management because I, I would like to see more people intervene. So looking at the last year of stats, how often was a particular member of your team on call? How often were they interrupted after hours on the weekends? How, is this bleeding into their personal life? Mm. Those are pretty big stats as well as, gosh, I mean, sometimes just switching teams, just saying, hey, I've been on the internal tool team for a really long time doing help desk via Slack is just totally killing my focus. Can I go be on a backend team for a couple quarters? Some sort of rotation, you know, getting people that empathy of what it's like right. to be on the inside of a internal tools team. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you're, you're serving on the front lines of a military operation here. Everybody knows you got to <laughs> rotate to the back every once in a yes. while, recover yourself. You don't want to be too shell-shocked all the time. Then you can get back to the firefighting after a bit. It's very important. Totally. And I, so I'm a big one for reflection and introspection. So as an organization, are you looking back to see, hey, 
we onboarded five new vendors. Are they still working out? Should we continue the relationship? Or are some of them falling short of the support that we were promised and expected? We're not seeing the customer enablement. Where are the workshops that we were promised? So I would also take a pulse of, you know, right now the economic climate is a little frosty. People are feeling the stress. What can we take off plates? What is adding that cognitive load? And hopefully it's not your observability tool, but (laughs) studies show that it most likely is a contributing factor. And so just really talking to the people holding the pagers, they are the experts in their experience and they are the experts in knowing how your system's doing and what Mm. mitigations and interventions and maintenance need to be done. And I think it's time to listen to the operators. (laughs) I'm biased, but... (laughs) To go back to the original matter, metaphor, did, do you think that operators were treated as cattle for a while or are still? Yeah. And, and maybe not as extreme as like, I'll fire you if you, you know, the Jenkins box, you know, blows up on Thursday afternoon. But there's really this idea that ops are there. They're always going to be there. They're the ones you call, you know, like for me in SRE, I would be called in to work on services or to troubleshoot services I hadn't touched in languages and platforms that I was unfamiliar with. Hello, Elixir and functional programming. And so over time, I built up that institutional knowledge, right? But every operator is different. We don't really have ops school. We don't really have getting your PhD in tech ops, right? And so every operator that we have today has lovingly and sometimes painfully built up this knowledge of experience and this bench of real world skills. And we are pets. I mean, you really should think of and treasure your operators because they have one of the hardest jobs. Again, bias coming from a former operator's perspective, but we have some of the hardest jobs because of the context switching and because of the level of responsibility we're trusted with to have the foundation of the platform, the infrastructure, resilient, Mm -hmm. available, and all of that jazz. So it does feel like you know, with Kubernetes, we sort of lobbed Kubernetes over to the devs and said, hey, it's great for us. It really automates a lot of the scaling concerns we had. Um, and now all of a sudden we have, not all of a sudden, it's been a while, but we have a lot of developers who are like, what's a pod? What is pod crash loop back off? Um, and it, it feels like we're still negotiating that line of really what does it mean to build it, own it, run it, maintain it, mm. operate it, <laughs> observe it. And, and how do dev and ops work together? How do you feel? Do you feel like we've made some strides in uh, how operators are viewed and treated? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we we end up talking about this a lot. So <laughs> it's still an open question. Work in progress. Yeah, we, we just published um, a uh, article talking about SRE team topologies. Like, Ooh. how do you set up an SRE team, right? Who Who builds it? Who runs it? And how do you be successful at these various, you know, team configurations? I do think, yeah, Paige, to your point, this is something that has come up quite a lot, not mm-hmm. forced by Ryan and I, because it's a, you know, our, our, our favorite topic, we enjoy it, but just because yeah. it's really pertinent to the way modern software organizations are run. SRE topology is one example. Another one that we ran recently had to do with observability debt and the fact that, you know, in today's mm-hmm. environment, as you said, with, you know, microservices and Kubernetes and containers and orchestration, often that act of observability becomes far more difficult than it would have been with a bunch of, you know, local machines and a few network connections. So yeah, I oh, think totally. it's it's definitely taking an increasingly central role. 
And I guess the the thing that, that makes it kind of stand out that's a little bit probably rubbing folks the wrong way is that you don't get credit or it's, you know, it's, people <laughs> yeah. maybe don't always get credit when things stand up and don't fail. It's like, great, right. it ran like it should. You get the flack, you know, when things fall flat. And then every once in a while, there's a big incident that's responded to quickly or efficiently. And then SRE, you know, gets to shine. But a lot of the time, the work the good work that keeps things running, it goes unseen, right? As opposed to shipping a, a shiny new product. So maybe that's some of the disconnect between the hard work that happens and the the burnout or the recognition of the hard work in a way. Oh, totally. Totally. It, it's very unglamorous. And I think it's a little bit easier connection for a lot of folks to make to, oh, I'm a software engineer. I built a feature. You can listen to Spotify with your friend across the country. Like That's something that whether or not you're a software engineer, you can kind of get but explaining the beauty of how you automated, you know, maintenance for your Kubernetes cluster, like I've tried, <laughs> no one is taking the bait on that. I will say I, I'm on that note of recognition. I've been delighted as uh, this is the year of cost cutting, cost efficiency. Many orgs have talked to us about that, that folks are saying, hey, when SRE is able to cut the bill or meet these targets that the company set, all of a sudden we're getting applauded. We're getting lauded um, because the work that SRE has done is directly tied to a business goal. So this may be the year. Soak up all the praise you get. Um, who knows if it'll <laughs> come back, SRE. but at least I your like cost-cutting it. projects, take take all the shine you can. Okay, check your Zodiac calendars. This is the yeah. year of SRE. You heard it here first. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really enjoyed the conversation and hope you did too. As always, this time of the show, I want to shout out a Stack Overflow user, who came on and helped to spread some knowledge, earn themselves a badge. Awarded yesterday to Bruno Rocha, a stellar question badge. That's a great question saved by 100 users. How can I read large text files line by line without loading them into memory? Well, it's probably something that people want to know because 375,000 people have checked out this question. I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. If you have questions or suggestions for us, hit us up, podcast at stackoverflow.com. And if you like the show, do me a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow, which is conveniently located at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at rthordonovan. All right. And thanks very much. I'm Paige Cruz. You can find me online. Uh, my handle is pagerduty, P-A-I-G-E-R-D-U-T-Y. And I work at Chronosphere, chronosphere.io. Awesome. I wanted to make a pager joke the whole time about your name, but I didn't. So I'm glad that it's, <laughs> that it's in your handle. <laughs> I resisted doing that, but you did it for us. That's great. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. And we will talk to you soon.